0: I was actually still holding out hope for LeVar Burton to get it. Cause there was a big push for him and they were actually really interested in his interest in it. So. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's a, um, I don't know. Like he, it's so they, it's Ken Jennings right now. They've got, they just put up a list, which has got like Dr. Oz on it, which is, gross and like a couple of other yeah a couple of other people that are just don't seem that smart and then like some news lady and basically it's no it's trash i want lavar burton i will only accept this the nice man from roots that taught me how to read and then took me off on space adventures yeah. is the only person i'm going to let read weird answers in the form of a question or the other way around
2: yeah, like Lavar Burton has a special place in the hearts of you know, people in like a fifteen-year age range, like not just not just ten years. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the other day, um, we were watching a movie and somebody goes, "Wait, isn't that the Reading Rainbow guy?" And I was just floored. Like, how could you not immediately know if you were looking at Lavar Burton? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're outside of the time window when you got home from school and turned on PBS
1: and there was LeVar Burton telling you something cool. And then on came syndicated Star Trek. And there he was doing something weird,
0: man. I'm going to be so disappointed if they just give that gig to another white guy. I mean, just come on. Like... Well,
1: Dr. Oz technically is a, of color in no, but no, he's still a doof. He's also a fucking doofus. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Supposedly, he's actually a great doctor, but definitely a much more sketchy uh, television host and product talker.
1: <laughs> I just don't know what to think about apparently he's a good doctor because it would be illegal to tell me that. Mm-hmm. Any of the information I would use to confirm that would be not I shouldn't have. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Well, like Jank Huger talks about that pretty openly about how his, I think it was an uncle of his that like when he was still practicing uh, surgery. I think he saved his uncle's life, and uh, I don't know. No, take that enough. for I mean, I'm just will.
1: yeah. I'm I'm applying skepticism to that guy. You hate is fine because usually he's not. Um, but no, no,
0: <laughs> definitely not saying he's fine. He is definitely no, no, like he even has
1: any merits yeah. at all. I refuse the idea. <laughs> so anyway, hello everyone. Welcome to K Space Communism, everyone's favorite jibber jabber Star Trek leftist podcast experience, where we're going to explore for, again why this whole show is the west wing for us techno leftists but it's still fun and i'm my name is paul byron and i'm communism
0: i'm cory archibald and i'm space
2: uh well i guess i'm amy and that makes me gay what
1: <laughs> we've, we've established that sexuality being a sliding spectrum it's all at least <laughs> some homo um
0: yeah
2: there's no absolute and zero but I was pretty sure I was entirely gay, but then I saw these pictures of um, European dignitaries with their shirts off getting um, their vaccines, (laughs) and it was like, oh yeah, I'm bi, right, right, (laughs) bisexual. Okay.
0: Well usually usually Rachel's the first one to chime in and say that she's gay and she's not here today so you're uh, you're, you're you're stepping into a, an important um it's oh, no. a time-worn
1: and audience-loved gimmick that you started <laughs> to open the show with which we definitely know That's is right. true because anyone's heard any of these episodes at time of recording <laughs> That's right <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, Amy is jumping in as a uh, special guest star, the Jeffrey Coons oh, no. of, the, uh, of, the, <laughs> of of today's episode. We are, we are missing Rachel. She is off somewhere on an away mission at some conference talking about something boring, and then she got sucked in a wormhole. It's terrible. But Starfleet directives dictate that we continue to write boring reports all the way through the adventure. So welcome, Amy. Thank you for joining the bridge crew. We uh, hope that the red shirt is not Telling. Oh no!
2: I do look okay in red.
1: And sorry to let you know, like you know, the audience knows because they love this show; they can't stop listening. But to let you know, of course, because you've never heard one yet. Again, haven't these don't exist yet? We like to talk We start off talking about stuff we've watched, treks we've watched recently, and if not treks we've watched, treks we liked, and Star stuff that we're into. What are you in for today? I know Corey. Actually, I'll let you start because I know you've been digging. You've been trying to dig into uh, the animated series, which is one of my absolute favorites. So where are you at?
0: Yeah. 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 So I'm still I'm actually still working my way through a full chronological viewing of the entire Trek experience, which will include all the movies, which I haven't watched in a long, long time.
1: And just to clarify, that's timeline chronological, not production chronological team.
0: Correct. Yes. That's timeline chronological. So I'm currently in the animated series. And last week I was talking about how I was having a little trouble kind of getting into it because the animation style reminds me of Scooby-Doo and it's trying too hard to be funny. And I find that weird. But it is it's worms way into my heart, much like the Enterprise theme song does. Um, but it's uh, it's growing on me. I think I will will appreciate it. I'm sure that I will appreciate it much more fully the second time through when I eventually get to a second viewing. But I you know I'm I'm starting to appreciate what what it brings to the table. And um you know apart from that, uh, I've just been doling out advice to folks that are also trying to initiate some other folks into trek world uh, somebody recently asked how you know their significant other wants to get into trek and they're asking them should i start with tng and skip the first two seasons and i'm like no damn it watch it all why would you skip seasons stop doing that
1: because <laughs> oh. picard shows up fully formed but everyone else is a little fuzzy and gets gets a lot clearer in his exactly
0: in his exactly. life exactly and if you skip the first two seasons then you don't understand like the you know the whole arc with data's development i mean you mismeasure of a man you miss other
1: robot that looks just like the one they have
0: exactly so (laughs) like don't listen kids don't skip seasons i know some of them are painful they're products of their time watch the whole thing okay that's my advice i'm gonna
1: say (laughs) skim episodes sometimes because oh boy that c plot is a real stinker some days
0: so
2: I agree you start at the beginning once you have them hooked. But what episode do you show them where they say okay I'll watch the rest? Cuz you got to get through like some super racist episodes and some just really badly written episodes in season 1, you know? Ooh, what's your what's your what's yeah. your opener? What's your, what do you put on the table?
0: That's hard to say because, you know, it it partly depends on the attitude of the person that you're trying to get hooked in. If they're not riveted from the first episode, then it's going to be hard for them to plod through. You know, more challenging early seasons that haven't hit their stride yet. But at the same time, like you miss out on so much. You know, I think if somebody's just like really big into into sci-fi and they're willing to accept different styles and and just kind of work there. I, I, I don't know. Part of it's just my personality. I'm the kind of person that starts something at the beginning and goes all the way through it to the end. And that's just how I operate. But if I had to pick like a really, really strong couple episodes, I think Measure of a Man is definitely a, a really good one. And that's still pretty early in the in the TNG franchise. And I think uh, because that, that kind of wrestles with some great philosophical questions and would get somebody interested in, in like Data's journey. Um, that's the first one that comes to mind.
2: Yeah, I really like that choice because it tells the viewer everything they need to know about where their expectations should be for TNG. I think. Yeah, there's no space battles. There's just a bunch of bureaucracy and
1: Picard lawyering, but they're talking about future stuff. So yeah, but it's when they really
2: hit with it, really made it good. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great that that is a great question though. That's like, like, what is your what's your onboarding episode? What do you want to hand? What do you hand somebody to get them in the door here?
0: Because I think I like a lot of my other favorite episodes from TNG, which I have many, require too much understanding of the context of the characters mm. to really fully appreciate them. Like, you're going to miss something out. But that's my opinion. Like, other people might feel differently.
1: Like Picard on Up is great, <laughs> but it is just yeah. it is not a Star Trek episode. It's or... not how you get someone in the into the door here, right? Like, that's a very weird...
0: Right. Or like the best of both worlds is is a fantastic two parter, but who the hell are know. all
1: these people? Why do they got plugs coming out of their heads?
0: Exactly, exactly. So like you're you're missing so much character development that I just don't I think that people might be confused.
1: What do I care if the guy from Moby Dick has a eye beam now?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Imagine being super familiar with the works of, of uh Patrick Stewart, but not this.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just, you know, that might be just me because of my own, my, like, I prefer to start things at the beginning and understand the context. And, you know, that that maybe is my hang up and other people don't have that hang up and they can jump in anywhere and feel fine.
1: I feel you, but I think that Amy raises raises the good point of like you got a lot of stinkers in there. I mean, episode two of TOS is the seventeen year old boy with mind powers that hits on the yeoman. I mean, we talked, yeah, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, (laughs) but that is episode two. They're like, hey, Gene, what do you want to what What do you want to talk about? How about an uplifting story of omnipotent sexual harassment? Like, you sure? you sure this is what you want to open with you don't want to okay <laughs> i mean fine like i mean like mr rogers opens up with hey daniel tiger your parents are getting a divorce huh <laughs> so i mean that's i get it but uh, you sure you open with what you want oh amy watching it what are you even uh even chewing through some of this old-fashioned comfort food space navy nerds for during your um let's call it
2: the seclusion <laughs> Um, well, I guess uh, the last few episodes I watched were probably Voyager, which I've been like trying to get through because uh, it is it, it is a a difficult journey through the Delta yeah. Quadrant. Yeah, I, I sort of watched through it a long time ago before I was kind of had trained myself to be aware of its problematic nature. And ever since then, it's just been like, I cannot get through a refresher watch through.
1: No, every third yeah. episode, you got the <laughs> Lightfoot making up native culture that doesn't exist. You got, <laughs> yeah. You got the boob separator yeah. jumpsuit. Um, it's, um, yeah. It gets weird. You got Neelix grooming a four-year-old, a literal four-year-old. I mean, she's an adult woman. It's it's not like, but yeah, it's still weird.
2: Still weird when you say it out loud, huh? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's very, very much so. And on a, like, a tonal level, I have, like I don't like the sort of spiritual direction of it, you know? I'm, I'm sort of a hard sci-fi gal. So I, I, I find that a little like, where's this going in my, in my trek, you know? And I, I feel like they just kind of gave up explaining things, you know? <laughs>
1: It gets more hand wavy at certain points out there. Yeah, like I don't mind using spiritual technology as like magic as sci fi or spiritual mysticism as science fiction, or and I mean, in my science fiction, because like, okay, this is as if there is a cause and effect and explanation, it is still sciency, but they definitely, yeah, get a lot worse at hand waving. And I mean, that comes up with them a lot in, in Voyager too.
0: I think if you compare, say, DS9 to Voyager in terms of presenting spirituality and faith and you know those kinds of beliefs in a science-centered universe, like DS9 is the clear winner. There, it's it's so much better at telling that angle,
2: and it still feels like hard sci-fi. Yeah, you know,
0: to me. For yeah, sure. yeah, no, it's really—they
1: are wormhole aliens. This does not make them not the prophets. Yeah, it just makes that a weirder relationship. It just makes it just—it doesn't even change it really. Like Kira do, it does a really good job of handling that. Like, yeah, okay, Mister Starfleet,
2: but you're the you're our messiah. Like, you really need to get that through your head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess the DNA of that kind of like woo spiritual side of things would be—I mean, it's in TNG. You know, it's in that candle episode. I mean, it's all over. It's all over Deanna (laughs) Troy, whose emotion, whose empath
1: powers work at varying degrees to varying depths as required by the plot.
2: Yes, precisely.
1: Like, (laughs) Like, oh, she either can't tell that this person across the table from her is a hologram or she can feel the individual feelings of people on a starship a light year away
0: they also do a lot of exploration of Klingon spirituality through Worf's character in both TNG and DS9. So I think there's Mm -hmm. a good thread there.
1: They do a weird job of that in, um, spoiler alert for a 20 year old television show, but it turns out the (laughs) entire Klingon afterlife is real. Yep. B'Elanna Taurus has a whole adventure where she may in fact have done literally this. Like she may have gone, used science to go to and cheat the Klingon afterlife, which exists.
2: Did I just convince myself they ended that in like an all the dream kind of way? Or did that really happen? No, that, I mean, they. Like I said, I can't get through it anymore. No one
1: could provide <laughs> oh, a scientific explanation for what was happening. It's like, well, you're having some kind of brain problem. It's like, oh, I mean, is she, is she interpreting the last. I like, guess she just using her cultural signifiers to take you to a place, but she doesn't know fuck all about this place. I think they leave it as ambiguous as they can for, this, for that show. Mm-hmm. They're like, no one knows, but she's pretty sure.
2: Yeah, so uh, episodes I've watched recently, you know, been talked into a couple Voyager episodes. I've actually been kind of just going through an Index show lately. So the last episodes I've thought about were all DS9 episodes. Oh, yeah. No, the, that ending of Deep Space Nine,
1: that whole mm-hmm. movie and then resolution of that, which yeah, I, I actually just watched the last episode of Deep Space Nine. So we're going to talk. We can we can hop that one in real, too, because, oh, man, what? Because the moment from that that hit me so hard is that Serac Lofton gets nothing yeah like his son yeah. you know benjamin cisco goes becomes one of the mad the prophets lives in the wormhole he's got some option for um later th- like they're saying oh i've got so much to learn so he's got stuff he can be doing but he grabs his wife and takes her to have a little chat but his son of his only son of 17 20 years now the only the person that was his rock the whole time of the show doesn't even get to keep the fucking baseball
0: <laughs> Kira
1: keeps the fucking baseball and he's sitting there with a dollhouse that has been that was a plot device once
0: yeah it's pretty fucked up
1: like, oh you poor boy it's sad it's like you really like. i want to hear about your maquis your radicalization to the to uh the pa
2: rates yeah <laughs> i know that ds9 was a amazingly awesome show with lots of arcs in it and that's great but i did find that the ending didn't know what to do with itself and it was a little disappointing for that it was like they ended the show three times in the last season yeah it was done with a couple yeah. of you know
0: well i'll always be mad about you know and and i know that it was a contract dispute that led to it but i'll always be mad about them killing off Zia and you know getting a brand new dax for the last season and cramming all of that that still pisses me off <laughs>
1: <laughs> although they did a pretty good job of it, I will say. Like, I think that that actress and that character were actually really well done and interesting take on the thing we'd done a bunch, which is Trill. We're like, oh, right, what if you just made a random person do it? They're like, oh, this sucks. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, ow, my head. Oh, this, oh, this sucks.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, they handled Rick Berman driving one of the best actors on the show off the show in a great way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But so yeah, they was they like the person that, the one that took over. She did as yeah as good a job as you can ask for. And I, I will give Ezri Dax more at the end of the season. I have a lot more respect for the character and actress Ev, at the whole Ezri Dax package than I did initially. And I was like, just kill her, just let her, just kill her. It's fine. Like, <laughs> like let the Dax symbiote die. Make it a real big tragedy. You know, like mm-hmm. you're losing a thousand years of, of life knowledge.
0: Yep. But instead, we need to make Worf uncomfortable because Worf must suffer, just like O'Brien must suffer.
1: Okay, look, but when has warp ever done a good job? <laughs> All right, so so we've 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 hammered through some old favorites here. Let's plow into the future, which is to say the past or the crypto past an acrofuturist let's move the damn media they love in star trek because oh it's so bad like imagine your culture let's put ourselves there we're we're living on a starship it's a weapons platform with a bunch of children living on it that's weird so what do you do in your off time well you can head down to the 10 forward and watch your commanding officer give a jazz recital (laughs) <laughs> and so, yeah, let's let's talk about this. Like, you got a couple of limitations on the show itself. It is they can only really talk a lot about public domain materials and stuff that has sort of a larger universal appeal. So I can see we're not getting like a lot of national lampoon references. But Shakespeare is not the last guy to write anything on earth, and it's so weird. Right. You know, like, and like, so it's like, yeah, between their love of jazz and light opera and sonatas and like the Jane Austen hollow novels,
0: <laughs>
2: oh,
1: it's such a wild wild yeah what, what, do, what do y'all what are we doing here what's what's your favorite
0: well it's like my big hang-up has always been the music like i i just I, and i know from a production standpoint like you said they are dealing with compositions that were in the public domain so they didn't have to spend that money but still like is like does nobody play like metal in the future like I don't believe that. Come on, like there is an
1: eight-bar <laughs> you know? eight blues riff within the public domain. I promise, and you will not. be still, right. There is at least one that hasn't been ripped off by a, a fucking white rock band at this point, and you can just play that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it just you know, like the like you said, the uh, the kind of lack of of uh, I don't know range in the styles of music that they seem to enjoy. Whether it was intended by the production or you know a reflection of some of you know maybe Gene Roddenberry's personal philosophy, or studio executives at the time, or literally just a limitation of budget from public domain standpoint. It just feels wrong, or no, I should say it feels like a little bit classist that. Oh, a bunch you know,
1: of like what I say, uh, the wine sipping turtleneck nerds.
0: Yeah, like mm. like it's a, it's a it's very classist to me because you're you're projecting that in the future we're all so smart and sophisticated that we only listen to classical music and saw and you know and jazz and it's come on (laughs) artistic expression has a much bigger range
1: wow that's a little fascist
2: yeah there's this assumption there won't be metal because everyone's going to be happy so no one's going to want to create metal music no those
1: degenerate art forms only come from a society in decline i don't know if Uh you heard there's no there's no moral implications about this line of thinking at all which roddenberry was of a generation that would you know unironically say that
2: yeah and it's
1: Fuck, they can write. That is absolutely the basis of, of sort of cultural purification and the kind of and just to be super clear, everybody, it's bad. Every, <laughs> uh, trash culture is fine. You don't have to like it for it to not be destroying society. Uh, but like, yeah, they don't have there's like so movies they watch. They've got very little. I mean, uh, Discovery gave us that they have Buster Keaton, which means there's been yes, that's right, no innovations in the field of physical comedy for almost a thousand years, which is fair. Right, I mean, that makes complete sense. Right, guy falls down he's doing a thing oops too, the range is too big uh oops, shoes these are all common p- problems for any humanoid species
0: yeah and let's not forget movie night on the enterprise either <laughs> um oh, on the, yeah, this, the show the enterprise
1: that's right one of the ones on there is the day the earth stood still which yeah like one of the <laughs> most boring movies you could possibly watch while living on a starship yeah like the fast and the furious franchise just not even on there yeah like, what are these other cars they're like hover cars but they don't hover thanks thanks <laughs> thanks tom good looking out um <laughs> oh yeah no so that yeah tom paris is a great avenue into because he's got he's got way too much knowledge about hot rod cars and swing music and 1950s horror movies which again that he's like got a graduate department level understanding of this and also all of the other shit he knows is one of the magics of star trek right like all of them are like, oh i yeah. know all about the 20th century like do you because that's a whole field of study like i'm a renaissance yeah. scholar all right cool can you also do particle physics and pilot this boat like no no i just <laughs> know about pants from this era that's it
2: <laughs> um, so i was pretty cynical about this when we were chatting about it before but um
1: No, I'm sorry. This is optimism only zone. Haven't you heard all of my
2: very uplifting talk? Now, now I've got some headcanon about it. So, in a world that's been decommodified, right? Like they're scarcity. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Why you 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 don't have the affection for the like super commercialized culture of the later 1900s, right? You're looking earlier to that when it felt more grassroots. And you're looking to things that you can recreate with your friends because like you're post-scarcity, you know, you you're going to do like a community play rather than like save up your money and go to a festival.
1: And I am actually kind of appreciate the support for the open mic night that this represents. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's great. Like that you can go watch any symphony on earth and you probably have had done so. But also now on Thursdays, swing on down and the hot jazz quartet of the bearded boys is going to just take you on a
2: musical journey yeah and in a world where you could watch any symphony anytime you want to go down to the bar and hang out with your friends and watch them play music
0: yeah well and i do appreciate like in tng all the uh you know the live performances that they do uh, theatrical performances like all, beverly and her obsession with yeah. plays and she's <laughs> actually got some really interesting ones there's that one where uh where will actually gets kidnapped by an alien culture and believes that he's stuck in the play and then kind of loses his mind but still like there is a little bit more exploration in the range and in, in terms of of acting performances at least in TNG because you got all kinds of time on the luxury you know space yacht that is uh TNG's Enterprise but it's a bit of a different story when you're talking about Voyager and you're running from the Kazon. Sure
1: very odd I mean like to build a holodeck
2: suite that makes a movie theater though i mean tom paris basically had to reinvent vegging out for a high stress environment of voyager right yeah
1: because <laughs> yeah. you do because like there is something about just watching a cartoon that is not the same as having to participate in it
2: it's like oh yeah. crap our post scarcity future broke and now we need to veg out again <laughs> like, no, i don't want to fight klingons as my fun time that's not fun yeah because everywhere else nobody just veges out right like O'Brien so and well, there's, Fisher, a lot of... you know, yeah, go ahead.
0: yeah, there's you know there's a there's a fair amount of uh, leisure time happening in Deep Space Nine, but it is all happening in the in the suites and it, it that, that does require active participation. so I guess to your point.
1: I mean, a uh, Dixon Hill novel, while, well, that's a good time and it's pretty straightforward and you're having fun. like it's not like the stress of managing a whole starship worth of people. and but oh, you gotta you're still gotta go places. They beat you up.
0: oh no there's a holodeck malfunction and you're getting shot like that's uh, only a plot device every other holodeck episode like
2: no one has any passive entertainment right that's the part that's weird to me about the star trek future
0: I might argue that Ode to Spot is passive entertainment, but otherwise <laughs> ah, point ah, taken. Ah,
2: ah, ah. It's, it's passive entertainment.
0: <laughs> oh yeah,
1: like all their sculptures are sort of vague flowy shapes and like silvery inoffensive uh, abstract forms or it's like direct representations of like sailing shit and ships and guns and like things like that, like naval weird naval references. It is like in terms of this wall decorations, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, actually, to get back to uh, it, Corey, you were talking about uh, about music. What's even more maddening about the lack of even like sound-alike representations of anything even resembling rock and roll is that if you'll recall in the ultimate hey, I'm my own grandpa scenario of first contact, of course, that crew of the Enterprise goes back and helps Zephram Cochran fly, do the first warp test. Two, and I believe that this is probably one of the dumbest decisions anyone's ever made, Magic Carpet Ride, which means this is historically the song that the first warp flight happened to, and Starfleet's just forgotten it. It's not the national anthem, it's none of it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I got nothing. Great point. Uh, <laughs> it's a one
1: night no, and I'm sorry, I'm just I just like thought about was thinking about that beyond the rest of the problems with that film. But like the first flight they have is to a dumb and not very good rock song because from Cochrane grew up now listening to an oldies station.
2: Maybe lower decks can throw in um the crystal method remix. Right. <laughs> and we're because, of course, we are leaving out the
1: canonical inclusion of Beastie Boys in one of the Kelvin Universe films, because that also doesn't really make sense because they, in fact, reference Mr. Spock in one of their songs. More of the continuity problems. <laughs> oh, it's in it's in one of the one of the one of the newer uh, the new trek the new not track, the J.J. Abrams ones where the answer is never
2: Kelvin Heresy.
0: We don't talk about the Kelvin Universe.
1: Yeah, they're just action space movies. They're fun. It's fine, but they don't ask the alien why they're it's mad ever.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you go in for apocrypha. Yeah,
1: like you might, like, and that's part of it is like, and I don't think they needed to do that one specifically, but I don't mind other of these. I do like, so Enterprise uh, provided a screenshot of their video console for their movie nights. And there's not much here besides Day of the Earth Stood Still, a couple of like, fun joke ones. But The Strange Case of Mr. Cigars appears in horror, which is the working title of Buckaroo Banzai and the Eighth Dimension. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I
1: and I, I absolutely adored that the timeline here is such that that film did make it to production, but under that title. Uh, and it is something that Jonathan Archer decided to take to space. The world beyond zero. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm going to assume that's like the Donald Duck in the world of mathematics hmm <laughs> about negative numbers
0: but you know speaking of like kind of i guess it's semi-passive and i guess it's entertainment we kind of talked about this a little bit last week in posting culture like there's no and of course this harkens back to the the time of the production of many of these shows but you know there's there's no conceptual representation of the internet as we understand it in Trek, and so like are people communicating with one another in common platforms like forums or you know websites you know i god god help me if facebook still exists in 300 years but you know like is there a space for that kind of interaction because it certainly is one way that people unwind or wind themselves up right now
2: I think um, I think that's a reflection of the same reason nobody smokes in Star Trek because they're a bunch of fucking nerds Well they, they live in a they live <laughs> in a society where they could literally get their lung cancer zapped like daily you know they're just like every day they could just go through a teleporter and leave the tar behind but yeah. nobody smokes because they're not unhealthy people in any way right Any way whatsoever they're not healthy people. So I think it makes sense that everybody's just like yeah we don't want to do social
1: media anymore. Like, i can just get in a teleporter and go punch that guy in person if I feel like it.
0: So it's almost like the people in, in the Trek universe kind of returned to that space where individuals communicated with people that they already had relationships with, but instead of sending physical letters, they were just calling them up on the comm screen.
2: Yeah, when parasocial relationships don't represent any power dynamics under a scarcity culture, yeah then any relationship you develop is both para and non-para. And I think we're starting to see that in our own culture, right? like you you develop relationships more and more with people you've never actually touched and probably never will. And it doesn't really matter anymore. you know well, that's so definitely
0: yeah, been true for me for a long time. i mean, i've been I'm was an early internet baby. I was you know, I'm am I'm a Gen Xer and, you know, I've got some of my closest friends, people that I have been very dear friends with for 20 plus years. I've either never physically met them or I've only seen them in, in person a handful of times because we forged our relationship on the internet. So, you know.
2: yeah. Why does anyone ever make new friends on Star Trek? Like, why isn't everyone by the time they're like 20 just maintaining a bunch of relationships?
0: Because they don't have Facebook. Yeah.
2: <laughs> But they have subspace. Like, why? Why do they only send letters via subspace?
0: I don't know. That's is that's a... the that's the question. And how do you get your latest news from QAnon if you know <laughs> these platforms don't exist?
1: <laughs> uh, well, as as
2: you know, Q is everywhere,
1: omnipresent, all touching. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it it just must be that they just the same reason they don't use cigarettes they're like that doesn't seem like a good idea it's an entire people it's an entire group of eurydices that wouldn't look back at hades when they left
1: mm.
2: you know an entire society of pandoras that don't open
1: well, I mean the mass cult, the ability to make mass culture, as you as you talked about, right? It really the way we do it relies on the method of production that we have and the commodification of those works and sort of profligation of those works is absolutely based on market conditions and economic principles rather than any appreciation for culture, etc. cetera. Not to say that all the things I we all enjoy are terrible, but yeah, they might they might not actually be that great. And it may well be like, oh shit, yeah, we should just be listening to like six or eight of the of punk rock records from a while ago and a bunch of operas and then we can just write our own dumb bullshit from now on, which, interesting, curious. Yeah, I like, it's a more, yeah, the more charitable approach for sure than, what a bunch of nerds! (laughs) Like, oh, look at all your Jane Austen holodeck adventures. What is wrong with you? Why are you wearing a petticoat made out of hard light? I mean, it's probably (laughs) easier than wearing one made out of wool, so that makes more, I'll back that one off, but Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, no, the costumes that the actual crew members wear are real.
1: That's true. I guess because it, it'd be weird if, like, hey, hey, we noticed you've been going to the holodeck a lot, and we just want to let like, you know that you get a free, a free replicator ration to make whatever costume you want at any time. Please <laughs> wait, just wait. put something on. So you're saying
2: that Star Trek is real. <laughs>
0: Well, no, like they, when you see when you see, for example, like Picard on his way to go ride his horse in mm-hmm. in the holiday. His he's riding wearing... outfit, yeah, he wears exactly his,
1: his Dixon Hill tuxedo to the Dixon Hill show.
0: And he carries his saddle and then later he uses it to beat somebody up when they're trying to take over the ship.
2: Why does anybody ever attach to anything? Why don't you just feed it back into the replicator and start? Well, over? I think you,
1: well, I mean, a saddle is something you would wear in. So you would definitely, that would be a thing. And also to have a handmade good is the only real commodity at this point. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of sentimental attachments to things that people like, you know, cross-cultural gifts um, or, you know, something you picked up on whatever planet. There's a lot of those kinds of collections that end up in, in uh, people's cabins.
1: And one of the things that, like, the most important things for wills and that kind of process for a long time was actually transmitting personal items and making sure that, like, a beloved thing you used every day went to someone who would appreciate that they owned the same thing. Because most people didn't own enough shit to bother to actually distribute property. Like, there was not enough any actual assets to really bother to distribute, but people still had opinions about where they wanted their fucking like the. They, I don't know, jewelry and shit, things you liked and right. wanted other people to have, not necessarily things that you thought that were like, oh, all my land, and because uh, most people again don't have land, never have, except for Picard and Kirk and several, which will, yeah, we have no idea how that works. <laughs>
0: Well, and like, apart from the Ferengi, who obviously, you know, still value commodification and, and acquisition of things for the sake of acquiring them, Um, although they they prefer to just acquire uh They yeah,
1: liquidate that down to profit. They don't want any goods. They just want the profit, which is a very, which is a, like pure form of commodity capitalism. I'm told we were supposed to be getting with our financialized markets, but it turns out they're just right. Get real excited about a shiny thing, too. It's all mm-hmm. goddamn tulips.
0: But, but apart from the Ferengi culture, I mean, all, all the other cultures that we encounter, they, the the things that they possess are things that have sentimental value, not just things that they picked up because it was cool or it was the latest gadget or it was the new thing, that, whatever, the, you know, yeah. the, the stuff that drives our consumerism right now.
1: No, oh, yeah. No, the Falcons want a logic thing. The, the Romulans only want it if it lets them
2: keep a secret, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. They, their whole... But, well, I mean, if Star Trek is then just a bunch of nerds that don't have commodification in their culture, so they want all their entertainment to be direct and social, why aren't they always sitting around singing folk tunes?
0: <laughs> Galaxy ain't going to explore itself. Because
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I don't the think... star is your star. <laughs> because hiring two, three
1: extras that do know how to play an instrument is a lot easier than hiring 10 actors that know how to sing. Uh, everybody
2: is can sing in g <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh i mean i yeah i can't fight you there but i would i would like to you know what listeners please hit us up with your favorite starship shanty your favorite federation starship shanty <laughs> I, mean, I mean the klingons are absolutely a singing folk they love they have For like, sure a, they are. a number of them which like yeah speaks it does speak to the larger uh, idea that once you get to a sort of this level of civilization, I suppose, your objectives become a lot different as a society in terms of what you want out of your leisure time and your culture.
2: Well, I think like the Klingon chanting in DS9 is often the only time where the diegetic music really rises to the occasion in Star Trek, you know? Yeah. And almost every other case, like, it's just like, come on, you guys couldn't take a like, little bit of budget for this? You couldn't
1: hire an actual saxophone player to write something? Just a little bit of money. <laughs> Like not even that much. Musicians are cheap as shit. I mean, and they're not, they're very expensive. They should be paid, but I mean, come on. It is the nineties in Burbank. You can find a guy who plus that
2: little horn thing for you. For sure. Or like you're behind, you have this big studio behind you. Like why isn't there more modern music in that stable?
0: Well, I mean, just speaking to our earlier conversation about why there isn't uh, like a broader range of styles of music, why rock and roll isn't represented. You can't tell me that nobody on the crew played a damn guitar. Like, there yeah. had to be somebody on the set somewhere that played guitar and probably had a garage band and would have been happy to play like one of their original songs, maybe with some lyrics rewritten so that they didn't have to worry about like those pesky, you know. I mean, yeah, Jordy and yeah. Riker,
1: if no one else have heard rock and roll, if no, no yeah. one else in Starfleet. Jordy and Riker <laughs> definitely have heard rock and roll. So, like, how do we make this sound? It's wow! <laughs> hey, Tom Riker. Hey, to- hey, Tom. It's me, your clone. I got that new sound you've been looking for. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. There's no, there's no buddy comedies. There's no, they don't talk about like action. There's not like action heroes in any real, which I mean, I appreciate falls in line with Gene's general principle of, Hey, this isn't fun or is some war sucks. Don't do that. But that pushes as we, all, well, if we talked about now that pushes on at TNG and sort of after his death, a lot of that changes and sort of people push on it to make it more easier to, for them to write. I mean, shit, like a bunch of TV writer shows. they're Like I know how to write cop shows. And like this isn't a cop show.
2: I think Star Trek got better because like Gene Roddenberry didn't have a hundred percent control and there a bunch of Trek got made and then he became Gene Roddenberry, you know? Gene Roddenberry. And so then um now he had too much control and Trek got more boring. And then finally other people got to tell other stories and it got good again. Like
1: let's see this talk of gene splicing is how we got to Khan in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry. I have no I have no regrets. but I think ultimately you're right that the addition of more voices to a thing makes it better. Oh, well, again, know, let's maybe not do that either. <laughs> it was more challenging it's challenging, to that, it's challenging to navigate, but like for sure. and like like the strong the idea of the strong captain, something Star Trek sells on is often true of creative projects. I find it. Well, I mean, it depends on the project, but affecting what a vision is a lot simpler sometimes if it's a vision, but what if that vision's stupid, I suppose is the counterpoint to that. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, and, and with a, this kind of media, you know, you're stuck with one vision in the end, you know, like if, if you can't agree, then someone had better be there to decide, or you won't produce a product.
0: And yet some of the best Trek really pushes the boundaries of that vision. I mean, that vision is important because it's the unifying principle that runs throughout the entire Trek universe. And it's the thing that keeps bringing us back. It's the reason why we love the show
1: Trek, Yeah. Otherwise it is is. saying with the Kelvin movies, they're space Navy action movies, but they do not ask the question. What if the enemy is my,
0: but -hmm. that's why, in my opinion, Deep Space Nine is the best trek unequivocally, because it pushes the envelopes and it and it questions the assumptions around that vision and really like challenges their ability to continue adhering to it. And there's times where they don't adhere to it. There's times where they break faith with it. And Janeway does that some too. That's why, despite all the problems with Voyager, Janeway is still my second favorite captain. But
2: yeah, I, that's I mean a different and- story. And if I knew which episodes to skip, it would be a great show to watch again. If you see the word <laughs>
1: Neelix at the top, it's probably a move along. That's no, not <sighs> true, actually. I that uh, actor, I like that Neelix. Great. I like yeah. that character. I like that actor. They did him dirty. They did. I they did a lot of those characters dirty for no good for uh, to advance plots. Who wants to do the
2: Neelix supercut of all his kitchen stuff? Oh,
0: oh wow. God, that would be hilarious. I would try anything that he cooks. Honestly. I, I wouldn't yeah. like all of it i'm sure but i would try it
2: yeah. i have adobe premiere once i'm done um making clips for the network i can uh, <laughs> start I'm not doing gonna fight that. you on this uh, what, so i will, <laughs> while
1: you're doing this please we will uh we'll be going through and talking about how many fucked up fruits there are on that counter because <laughs> like he's got just like hand like to pick up and walk away with a pomegranate Mm-mm you know <laughs> while you're at your console <laughs> just crack that bad boy open just oh, yeah. oh. this is definitive
2: proof that every surface in star trek is non-stick
1: yeah <laughs> it has to be like, yeah, the, or lasers just like a, la- a laser just burn everything off once everyone like every time everyone has left a room it's <laughs> oh i actually really appreciate it. Uh, that's one of the things i like a lot about lower because it kind of canonizes a lot of the how that was. Oh, yeah, no, that's what all those dimwits are doing. They're putting like trays of croissants down and sweeping up after the meeting the big table talk about what the problem is and how we're going to solve it with technology. And then mm-hmm. some guy comes in and it's like, all right, I'm going to clean all this up and put it back in the replicator <laughs> uh, and replicator recycling portal. And I think that's, I am appreciating their appreciating. They're getting to put a lot of light on that work in a, in again, in a canonical way. Like that show is the things they say, Star Trek does they do. And they do them in that show. It does seem to, to stick. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. It's just fun. Yeah, it's a very weird, like, yeah. What is, is there a burlesque show? Does anyone do burlesque? Do you think anyone <laughs> does burlesque?
0: Loxana Luxo- would.
1: <laughs> if we're gauging with what Loxana would and wouldn't do, by the way, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I, I, had, I had to slut Shane Loxana Troy real quick. <laughs>
2: Oh jeez. Well, you know, like DS Nine has conflict between characters, and Gene Roddenberry didn't want that. It has space pirates, and that was a no-no. It's like, how are you going to not do space pirates?
1: Well, he yeah. has he has gay space pirate Harry Mud Harcourt Fenton, <laughs> gay space pirate Mud. But you're right. No, but you, I mean, but like, yes, ultimately, you're correct. I, he only is dressed like a pirate. He's a sex trafficker. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is which one. is much better. <laughs> Apparently
1: that's fine. You can do that. That's just like a no, like that's just a regular business he just did it weird and that's why Kirk got involved. So again, yeah. what they are cool and are not cool with is very 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 touch and go. Yeah.
0: yeah. You can traffic women, but you can't give them pills that make them look different.
1: <laughs> well, I think the, the real problem with that was that he almost hit Kirk's spaceship. So, <laughs> there was a traffic in invi- a traffic citation problem. <laughs> that escalated so like be careful with over, y'all no they can't search your car ask for a warrant tell them ask them ask why they pulled you over
0: all cops are bastards all cops even, are bastards even, even kirk. kirk yeah even A-Cab kirk
2: 2400 <laughs> <laughs> like, just,
1: just because they're a nerd in a red tunic doesn't mean that they ain't cab
0: yeah 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 and kirk kirk was definitely a cop there's I mean, no seriously, that,
1: that is an
2: episode about how a traffic stop escalated. Yeah. Which,
1: like, oh, boy. Wow. Missed missed opportunity for the carceral state episode, but we're coming back around because I got it. We got to do a whole Harcourt Fenton Mud episode. There's a whole episode of this show <laughs> that is going to happen about that man. I mean, <laughs> there is no way that's not true. It might be later. It might be at some kind of bonus episode, but oh, boy, he's a good time. As they bring him back in Discovery and he gets a time loop episode, it's fun. Yeah, see I've gotten like 1% of his story now that Disco's gone. Oh yeah, now go get those go get Mud's women and they, like there's a there's a TAS episode coming up for you, Corey, I believe as well. Mm. so we've kind of we've seemed to have run a, run our warp core a little bit out of dilithium here so i'm gonna <laughs> we're gonna change course and i'm gonna ask you what is your 10 forward open mic night act what are you doing what's you like yeah we all gotta everyone has to play in the talent show the morale mm-hmm. officer comes by your fucking deck like what can i sign you up for well uh-huh here's your moment what are, what are we doing
0: i don't i don't think you're gonna like my answer
1: I don't like anybody I don't like any of the answers that anyone gives about anything.
0: I'm gonna karaoke journey.
1: <laughs> oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. After the karaoke <laughs> wars, all soft rock <laughs> has been banned.
0: Journey will never be banned.
1: <laughs> oh, don't stop believing, dear. Good, good, good luck. Good lord. <laughs> That's awesome. That is so bad. Like the whole ship crying and screaming. Oh boy. Oh, I love I love it. I love it. I hate it and I love it again.
0: Yeah, exactly. You hate you, you love it so much that you hate it and then it comes back around to loving one more time.
1: <laughs> what I love the most is that there are I'm gonna say in my head canon for this event that there are alternate subtitle tracks in other languages but it is a song that carries meaning meter rhyme tone regardless like you can turn your universal translator off and you can feel the emotion and it still all tracks and follows the the rhythmic patterns and the chords of don't stop believing as written and performed on earth pre-eugenics wars (laughs) yep that's the other real heavy thing one of the other explanations there that we didn't really get into but I mean it kind of is just the oh well the hand wavy which is there were world wars in between you can imagine that like there were some Alexandria burning but wow is it specific
2: <laughs> what are you doing Amy what's you what' your, what's your show Amy oh so um well I'm a I'm a guitar player asshole we were complaining about earlier so I'd be in my elements <laughs> I probably do um a combination of like Bonnie DeFranco and Liz Fair covers.
0: (laughs) I love it. That's amazing. I'd show up for that.
2: Nice. I finally go
1: together. How about Uh, you, Paul? Well, we're going to round this out with a, uh, we're going to go the other direction. I'm going to go circuit bendy and sort of, uh, basically it's just what I will come out with is a whole bunch of tricorders that are all kind of wired to each other in a weird way. (laughs) And then I will play them like a theremin. (laughs) oh yeah Um, (laughs) they're all broken they're all useless now right i have turned them all into this piece of garbage Uh, but i like do a lot yeah it is a very very enchanting experience everyone says but they're lying
2: there's like four (laughs) people that show up to everyone and they're just like yeah man wait for it wait for it
0: (gasps) (gasps) (sighs) data comes up to you afterwards and says paul that was very interesting
1: i wept (laughs) in sadness goodbye. I wish he wouldn't have said anything. He can turn his own ears off. He doesn't have to, oh, he didn't have to say that. Well, if we're, if we're lucky, podcasts will not be a part of the Federation or Starfleet or any star traveling lifestyle. But since you're stuck here on earth with us, It's been a real pleasure thank you very much for listening to gay space communism please check out the not safe for wonks or not safe media not safe for wonks all of the things there's a link in the record in the show notes we appreciate your time there's probably a patreon you should give slip little strips of latinum into just like the head of the nagus and uh signing off on behalf of rachel who we love dearly and we'll see you again soon i'm paul byron
2: i'm Corey archibald amy hassel
1: live long and prosper team you'll be good